Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wabo's most sunny work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about the end of Leaving a Mark, 4.x. And wait, no, there's more chapters. We've got <laughs> uh, 4.8 as well from Lucy's perspective. And then uh, bonus dossiers, which are Wild Bo's version of uh, SCPs, which are pretty good. <laughs> um, so let's <laughs> let's dive into Leaving a Mark 4.x, though, which is in Snowdrop's head, which is, of course, the interlude that we've all been waiting for. Yes, I I was ecstatic when I started reading this and realized it was Snowdrop's perspective. Yeah, I imagine everyone um, was. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so so uh, Snowdrop has a brief interaction with somebody who is delivering papers that we later find out is Seth Belanger, um, and almost immediately something seems a little bit off. Yes, um, but before we do talk about that, I wanted to very briefly just bring up, there's a mm. part just before this happens where Snowdrop is like reflecting on what her life used to be like before Verona came and picked her up. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this is a chapter that starts to really explore like the nature of others and and what it is to be others. It's our first other interlude. Um, and it, like we'll talk about that as it goes on. But there's just something to me existentially horrifying about Snowdrop being able to remember her life as just an animal, as just an opossum. Yeah, like, it's interesting, the, isn't it? Just the idea that it's like, yeah, you know, I was just an animal and I drank drank milk from my mom and then I was catching bugs and then a cat came and picked me up and like now I'm fucking here like that (laughs) being able to remember such a fundamental shift in yourself is Mm. that you didn't sign up for like that's just I don't know there's some existential dread there like thinking about that for me Mm. yeah interesting I that wasn't as horrifying to me but I can see why you would be horrified by it it is bizarre to go from you know not being super cognizant and sentient to then suddenly becoming it and still being able to remember your past life. Yeah, and definitely the way some of it's phrased is she's just like, I was just leading a normal life and now like I'm in this fucking whirlwind of adventures. Like, you know, mm. it's, it's almost like Avery went and picked her up in this Alice in Wonderland path and now it kind of feels like Snowdrop is in her own inverse version of a fucking Alice in Wonderland trip. Like she was just a regular opossum and now she's been put in this fucking wacko world uh, and had herself changed. And yeah, I don't know. I guess and now I understand even more why Avery was kind of concerned to hear that Snowdrop was off her because it's like, yeah, to some extent, this is your your fault. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Responsibility uh, yeah. falls pretty squarely with, uh, with the trio. Um, well, not Lucy, I guess. <laughs> Um, so here's, so the interesting thing about this is we're in Snowdrop's head, right? And I, I had this experience and from reading other comments, I wasn't the only one where I didn't realize until about halfway through, you know, Snowdrop's lying. She doesn't see it as lies to herself. Right. Um, Mm. but she pretty explicitly spells it out in her head right near the start of like, even when I write things down, sometimes they don't appear how I expect them to. And she, she has a few lines like this that make you realize she doesn't know what lies are coming out of her mouth. And I just, I just thought it was funny that it was a fairly u- universal experience of not really getting that until, you know, more, more through the chapter. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like that was intentional to some degree because so much of the phrasing of conversations in this chapter feels intentionally ambiguous. Mm. And it, it definitely felt to me 
like this chapter was set up so because the second time you go through it um it's it's very fun wait now that you're 100 percent certain to be like oh you know like it's it's like the inverse of the regular snowdrop formula um mm. like to me it was kind of like the forest ribbon trail chapter all over again where you kind of get to go through and be like he every time she says something because you <laughs> you do it like i, I don't know it, it, it's a Again, it feels like I get such simple enjoyment out of the regular snowdrop formula, and and that sort of childish enjoyment also works the other way. Where now I'm like, it's so fun to try and imagine what is coming out of her mouth uh, from other people's perspective. Mm. Yeah, I think it's especially fun in her interactions with Seth at the start here. Yeah, because there are a few times where you know I didn't realize this the first the first time through, and then rereading it there are a few times where his reaction just makes me realize that her, her lying mouth has said something <laughs> pretty hilarious like um she yawns and seth says oh sorry am i boring you and on the text in the text she says no no you're not or whatever but his reaction is like <laughs> like pretty, okay. and i was like oh this is good this is great <laughs> yeah uh, good times yeah 100 it's it's very fun and uh, but it's also like you can see what a struggle it is for snowdrop she has to be so careful about what she says um she you know she she's constantly trying to put things in questions because they don't get inverted um but like there's that one moment with seth seth where i think she just sits there and she sort of like just stands there and smiles at him because she's like i have no idea what he heard and people act very unpredictably so like all i can do is just really hope that he gets the good vibes and based on what happens mm. with her hands at the end for all we know like you know her sitting there smiling she's like frowning at him um mm. i can't remember exactly where her facial expressions land but uh yeah yeah I, I, there's another moment later on i mean i guess i didn't realize until this chapter just how much this invades her communication like she can't write stuff down right yeah which was new to me um but even she goes to give a thumbs up later in the chapter so and gives good. the middle finger instead <laughs> which is a classic moment um and it's just like oh man it would be so annoying to be snowdrop yeah yeah and i wonder if there's some um like analogy here for being someone who doesn't speak a native language in a place like mm. like like you know her being like in english as a second language or, or, or not a fluent speaker type analogy here where you know she's just miscommunicating with people uh and the you know through sort of no one's fault it's just like she, she just you know is misspeaking i suppose mm. yeah yeah exactly um poor snowdrop yeah um so there's this other bit here where i wanted to put out one line seth mentions where he he says before construction in the backfield even begins we'll be using some binding circles to keep pests out bugs mice wisps echoes lesser goblins and the like and and seeing things like echoes and and like low tier cherry pop goblins uh mixed in with like bugs and mice sort of made me realize something that i feel like we probably should have drawn a link to before but like we obviously know that the blue heron institute looks down on others but i think you could almost view the way they treat them as uh, a metaphor for like how we treat animals in a lot of ways mm. like the way zed was treating nina reminded me of how like somebody might treat a horse they have or something where they see it as like oh it's my pet or whatever but like you know when you own a horse you, you well uh, elliot can you ever really own a horse yeah i mean exactly like <laughs> um but um like i yeah this, this is a weird anecdote but like i i went to um 
like a reptile park here in Australia like years ago, and they're talking about how they make the anti venom for for some of the snakes here. And basically, the way they do it is they um get the snakes to bite the horses, and and they sort of regulate how much uh of the venom is going into the the horses, and the horses mm. build up the antibodies, and then they basically like take the blood from the horses and, and get the antibodies, and that's what mm. the anti venom is. Mm. Um, but the the people like oh don't worry it's like very humane because they also like they i can't remember exactly what it was but they give them drugs or something like the horses as they take in their blood as also gets to the point where like the horses they're like the horses really want us to take their blood and it's like yeah because you got them fucking hooked on drugs like what are you what are you talking about and like that just made me think of like zed's whole thing with nina with the whole like you know oh she wants to be in the library and it's sort of like yeah Mm. but you know you kind of helped craft her or whatever in this way where she doesn't really have a choice right like it's it's like you know oh oh she wants to do it it's like yeah but you've manipulated it so that she does Mm. like not to say nina is like a horse already because like that's the exact reductive thinking (laughs) that i'm trying to criticize but like i'm I'm saying that's the same way they're treating them that same way yeah yeah i get that it's definitely yeah it's it's definitely just like not even being treated as though you're a you know a sentient creature right yeah yeah exactly like i I, yeah just you know even like i could even see some of these people who deal with like gods or whatever like there's probably people who think of them like lion tamers or something right it's like oh yeah they just deal with the scary animals um so like you know i I don't think that's like all there is to these sorts of metaphors but like i definitely feel like there are some similarities between the way practitioners in this school treat others and the way we can treat animals Mm, yeah um it, what's interesting to me, and I, I wrote this in the notes a little bit later, but we might as well bring it out now, is this is our first interlude from the perspective of an other, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's so interesting because, sure, all the other interludes are pretty dangerous, but this one is just so consistently going from danger to danger and constantly, like, the basically the tension in this is Snowdrop doesn't realise that any time she gets to what might be a safe harbour, it's just another potentially more dangerous you know false ally right yeah um, and it really made me realize you know and sure in this case maybe a bit of it is snowdrop's own fault <laughs> but uh, you can imagine that this is what it must be like for you know let's say matthew or john right yeah. where anytime you go and you're around literally any other creature a practitioner or other or anything you're in danger right and, and it's just there's just no safety for you and that just must be so draining you know yeah because they don't like i mean the only reason the blue heron institute isn't like that for the practitioners is because they have this big agreement not to hurt each other yeah yeah um and the only time we've seen that with others is um kennet so like this is sort of yeah a bit what it's like without somewhere like kennet for the others yeah Um, i think that's very interesting um we finally get a get to feel what that's like you know yeah exactly and it's like it's yeah, I mean, it, it's it's rough for Snowdrop. She's just going from bad situation to bad situation until she finally kind of has to trust Nicolette, and it ends up working out for her. But like, you know, in another world, maybe it wouldn't. Um, mm. th- I, I mean, there's also this bit like to sort of tie into both of our recent points. Like, Seth assumes that Avery is Snowdrop's master, um, and mm. it, Snowdrop kind of has to sit there and stew on this. And I like, I just hate this because like, there's nothing bad between snowdrop and avery they actually get on yeah great um yeah. and it's like other people external parties poisoning this relationship to between them by like saying dumb bigoted crap 
<laughs> it's just mm. like I, I I just hate it. Um, and I now I'm worried Avery's going to say something that sounds worse than it is or something. But like you know, this chip on the shoulder now exists, and and Snowdrop will get like really hurt by it. Um, mm. and it's just like it, yeah, it just it just sucks that it's like these two have a good thing going, but you know because it's an abnormal relationship other people making comments that just, you know, are hurting both of them about it. Because we saw the same thing with, you know, or not the same thing, but a similar-ish thing with Avery last chapter. Mm. Yeah, and we get there's more of it later on, or what I think is more of it later on, it's a little bit unclear. But, yeah, the, I wonder whether finding out more about how this relationship works in terms of exchange of, like, personality aspects and stuff is going to sour the relationship between Avery and Snowdrop a little bit. I yeah. mean, I hope not, but... You know, they, we have got one or two beats like that. Yeah, I'm I'm worried some seeds are being planted in that regard, but we'll, mm. yeah, we'll see. Mm. Um, so yeah, Snowdrop goes to try and order some strawberry milk before realizing that she can't just write down her order and that's not going to work. So she decides to confront the staff face to face. And so obviously, I, we've talked about how kind of horrifying this is uh, for mm. Snowdrop, like how there's no safe harbor in this chapter, but like it's a very fun chapter. Mm. uh as well like a lot of the events in this it reminded me of um you know that episode of the last airbender where they they all are in like basing say and then there's the the one with momo mm. and momo runs around and just kind of keeps getting caught up in bullshit for no he, reason he has adventures with these little um like cat things. like cat pumas yeah yeah um this this had very similar energy to me, and I, there's probably tons of other examples. That, like I'm just calling out that one because it's freshest in my mind. But like you know, mm. to to dip into my earlier metaphor in, in maybe not a good way, it, it's like you know she's got that it's that chaotic like animal companion episode energy. Mm. Like um, yeah, I don't. It's just very fun. Like just the way like you know as horrifying as it is on one level, it's very fun to follow Snowdrop through these wacky adventures over fucking like strawberry milk, like. It's horrifying, but like just you know, watching her having to battle brownies to the death and then like escape the library while Nina wants to make her tea is is also very fun. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, yeah, this is such a tense and chaotic chapter. Um, and I guess that's just the vibe of Snowdrop making everything <laughs> around her. Yeah, tense well, like, and chaotic. Like I think a line that sums it up really well is is there's this one where um, when she first starts like fighting a, a brownie. Um, the the narration goes, it fought like its life was on the line. Mm. Snowdrop fought like her strawberry milk was on the line, um, which just sort of captures just the the fun side of the chaos of this chapter. Like I think the narration does a really good job. There's like tons of things like where she thinks about fairy ish versus fairy esque, and then dis- later describes the the stuff the brownies are wearing as gauze esque. Um, mm. like, I think the narration does a lot to really set just like a fun whimsical insane adventure tone uh Mm. and it's it's only really when you take a step back do you realize how kind of horrifying it is well i don't know as soon as snowdrop says oh yeah i'm just going to interact with one of the brownies face to face i was kind of like oh fuck okay (laughs) yeah fuck this is gonna be like that kind of chapter huh um yeah it's wild because it's just you know she she says she's going to order from the brownies face to face. And I'm like, okay, that's obviously yeah. going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, and then is... she does it and it just goes so much worse than you think it was going to, because not only does she try and talk to one, she like catches it and attacks it <laughs> and beats the shit out of it and then just kind of runs away. 
<laughs> like not even being like, now this is what I want. She just kind of runs off and yells back after her. Well, you've got my order and then <laughs> leaves. And that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I don't know. The fact that all of this is over strawberry milk to me was just hilarious. Um, and, and again, it's like then when you take that step back, you realize how, what this is actually saying about what it's like to be an other. But, um, there's there's definitely a fun angle to the the first time you read this, mm. like getting into a fist fight with a brownie that travels through trap doors in the fucking <laughs> thing because you want choc- uh, strawberry milk is just a hilarious situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Um, so yeah, obviously, Wildbo's not content with us just knowing that things are about to go even worse with these brownies, and he has to make this chapter even more horrifying by having Snowdrop see a bunch of texts from VD. Um, who seems like he has had some kind of serious medical condition complications and is now in the hospital begging Verona to come back home. Oh, fucking, of course. Like, this is, uh, of course it had to be something, like, actually wrong with mm. him. Like, it's not him doing something stupid. No, yeah. It's not Verona doing something stupid. I mean, stupid. it still could be him just manipulating, yeah. but it seems unlikely. Yeah, I, I, I'd i be very surprised if that was the case. I read this as genuine, because to me, that's worse. And that, yeah. for Wabo's stories, that's my metric of which one it is, is which one's worse. <laughs> which would be worse um, to experience. And, and, like, the, the idea that there's just a genuine problem that does actually probably maybe war- warrant her attention now is, is mm. just the worst one because it's not like I can just be like, oh, fuck her dad. Or, oh, Verona, what are you doing? It's just now I have to sit here and be like, oh, shit, I think she actually maybe has to, but also I don't want her to. Like, ah, yeah. I, ha- I, yeah. Hate, I hate this, but I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so wild, right? Like, the group has been off having fun at Magic Camp, but they've been completely avoiding their problems. And obviously those problems aren't just going to go away. So of course, of course, this is going to rear its head and kind of put a huge damper on the excitement that they're having. Yeah. It, it, in retrospect, it was way too optimistic of us and them to assume that yeah, we might that everything just have to would deal. just be fine now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, I was we've gone off to school. Yeah. yeah I, was, I was picturing like, oh, we'll come back from the summer and Verona's dad will be like really angry and there'll be problems. And it's like, of course, it's not going to wait that long. Like, what the fuck was I thinking? Um, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, I like. I mean, I I hate this because of the feelings it's made me, but also like just as a plot device, this is fantastic. I can't wait to see where this goes. It's it's awful. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty rough. Um, I when I initially read this chapter, I had the thought of like, we know Verona's been avoiding her phone. Has she seen some of these texts and is avoiding confronting it? We find out next chapter that that's most likely not the case. I mean, she seems like she has just found out about this now um but man yeah i i it just it just feels like it's gonna go so wrong <laughs> yeah i yeah i can't wait um so there's this other this other bit as well that snowdrop Snow, snowdrop thinks about some of the perks uh and uh whatever the opposite word of perk is uh about being lost mm. uh is and and she sort of you know miss was apparently you know telling her things or she was getting tips and tricks from miss about how to hold on to stuff um and snowdrop has this one thing where she says if miss didn't come back then maybe snowdrop would take over the same position miss had had which i was just like i mean what's your read on that Mm. um i think that's a pretty unlikely (laughs) i guess (laughs) i mean like maybe there's some aspect of 
being a bridge between the other others in Kennet that Snowdrop could fill. She's already obviously pretty ingrained with the goblins and maybe that wouldn't work for her kind of connecting to the Fae, uh, to the Fae but, you know, I could see her being acting pretty well as a kind of go-between for the others. I don't think she has it in her to be in a leadership capacity though. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I agree. Like, she's she she's quite bright. Like, one of the big takeaways I took from this chapter, she's actually very clever. Um, mm. She's just having to overcome a lot because of like her communication issues and also she is in many ways just like a kid um Mm. so maybe this will be different as she like grows up and matures but she doesn't have that same sort of machiavellian insight ability to pull strings that it kind of felt like miss had like miss Mm. just had this intuition about how things were gonna go and snowdrop doesn't quite feel like she has that but like it's interesting to consider her as the other lost like what in what ways she maybe can actually replace miss like you know she doesn't have to do all of it maybe yeah yeah i could see her taking over some aspects but i don't think it's um she's not going to become the new miss <laughs> no i've still got my hopes up that miss might come back one day for like the epilogue or something yeah i mean do you think snowdrop's just saying that because she's kind of a from the paths and miss was too and that's like a link in her mind or yeah yeah i, I mean i assume so but I, it just got me thinking like what that could look like Mm. Like, I mean, look, you could do a lot worse than Snowdrop as uh, Supreme Leader of Kennet. <laughs> you definitely could do worse than that, for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine it now, and it's just a shit show. Like, <laughs> I don't see that. I don't see that being something that anybody in town, with the exception of Cherry Pop, would ever go for. <laughs> She'd definitely have to have an ambassador if she was, like, the head of the town, because she couldn't, like, without a briefing people wouldn't be able to have, like, a conversation with her. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And Anywho. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I guess maybe she's making enough of a name for herself here at the Blue Heron Institute that, yeah, you know, people kind of get get to know how she operates. Mm. I mean, uh. I do, like, I do, I do just find this fascinating, this whole thing fascinating about how, like, she can, she's, like, she struggles to see in sunlight, but she's very good at seeing things that are kind of hidden. Like, as a, as a lost, she has this instinct for things that are out of the out of view like you know it's like it's sort of that thing like miss said avery was the first one she picked right like this is avery was was you know in the corner like hiding and that's Mm. that's presumably why she came to the attention of miss like Mm. there's you know like uh, snowdrop does have some of those cool abilities and i wonder like you know as she grows up and learns to use those maybe that's like very powerful yeah true we'll have to see i guess um, anyway, uh, so Snowdrop goes to find Avery to, to or the whole trio to fi- fill them in on this phone conversation she's just found, but instead finds a mob of brownies armed with kitchen implements, all ready to exact vengeance. Um, she puts up a pretty good fight here. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's actually surprisingly good at, at fighting. Um, mm. I, the other thing I... I, I so. The brownies just seem to come, be able to come out of every fucking surface in this yes. school, right? Yeah. So I'm curious, do you reckon these are magically appearing trapdoors, or is this school just, like, littered with secret passageways? Like, I can't decide mm. which one I think is cooler. Mm. I think they kind of create them. I feel like they have this effect of, like, they can come out of wherever you're not looking. Any kind of you know, dark crevice or whatever, they can just kind of get get out, come out of and go into, and it all kind of acts the same to them. Yeah, maybe they're, tr- maybe like these doors are manifestations of like portals between here and the brownie realm or whatever. Yeah, it seems quite strange 
they've just hidden trapdoors under like you know cobblestones and stuff. But I mean, I guess it's possible. I just love the idea that there's fucking a, a thousand secret passageways in this school. I think that's hilarious. Mm. Like you know, like you could open up a, a hole in the floor because isn't doesn't the brownie doesn't she chase it into a hole in the floor that's full of like cutlery? Like that's where she gets the butter knife from. Mm. So it's like yeah, I mean, just just the idea that if if the trio ever do need cutlery, they could just go to the corner of the room, lift up a stone, and grab grab a grab plate. some cutlery. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um yeah. Uh anyway. So they they get into this fight, right? Um and uh, <laughs> I mean Snowdrop does very well, but it's well it's weird. She she's kind dirty. of functioning yes, right? <laughs> and through her chain of thought, she's like functioning as a goblin, basically. She she definitely has this vibe of like um she thinks like a goblin. She fights like a goblin. She's kind of turned into a, a pseudo goblin, which is pretty yeah. hilarious. I thought. Doesn't Nicolette specifically use the phrasing um, like uh, I can't rem- I can't remember how it starts, but it's like with like a tint of goblin around the edges. Yeah. Uh, to refer to her either this chapter or the next. Yeah, um, which I think is a good uh, a good description of her because she definitely is goblin esque. I think it's fun though because she kind of puts this weirdly wholesome twist on being a goblin. Like mm. maybe not so much in this fight where she's going for the the dangly bits. I think is how she phrases it. But um, <laughs> but like you know she's always like, oh, I need to stick it to the fairy for my you know to impress my goblin buddies back in Canada. And mm. um, you know like when someone's mean to her, she's trying to think of her most creative swears like Cherry Pop would do. And she kind of comes up with wet noodle, which is such a shit insult. Like, <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I love how she's like she's she's sort of got this bit of goblin in her, but she's still so wholesome overall. Uh, in, yeah, my favorite of these gobliny bits, and I don't, I don't remember exactly when it is, but when she's thinking about how uh, she's named after a flower and how uh, uh, Toad Swallow has talked about. Um, how like flowers are basically plant genitalia yeah, yeah. And, and then kind of talking about that stuff like oh my god she's she's basically turned into a goblin and it's hilarious my my favorite part i i remember exactly where that is because that paragraph starts with her thinking milk is the best because milk is the ultimate giving food like you're not taking from an mm. animal with meat or like or meat st- yeah or, or stealing from a tree when you take fruit it's somebody is giving you the milk and she somehow transitions from that to yeah like in a way i'm kind of named after genitalia and i was like what the fuck <laughs> like how, this train of thought is crazy <laughs> i mean that's just what happens when you hang out with uh with goblins right yeah i wonder if this will mean anything like i wonder if her you know seemingly getting a bit of goblin energy from hanging out with them like i wonder what that means mm. Mm. Like, yeah I, yeah I, w- I wonder if i wonder if that'll go somewhere or, or be significant in some way later on yeah we'll have to see um, so she's scrapping with the brownies, uh, and then their fight gets interrupted by Seth, who comes in, of course, causing them to hide because they can't be seen by anybody. Um, and to, to preserve her sanctuary, Snowdrop follows Seth into the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, at least it's making him uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, no, it's good, because Seth is obviously the worst. Like, <laughs> he... God, fuck. His comment about how she... Because she's like, maybe oh, if I she in? was sixteen, yeah, can yeah. I go into the bathroom? He's like, oh, maybe if you're Jesus. sixteen. Jesus, like, oh my Fuck. Jesus, that's like, so yeah. Dumb. Also, uh, yeah, um, yeah, and he doesn't wash his hands, which is <laughs> just as bad of a crime. 
<laughs> I I did like that little note. Um, I was I was gonna bring up the jab. Like he he quickly is sort of like, oh, I don't want to upset the clients. I mean students. And like you can just hear him chuckling to himself at his you know witty barb in front of the other. Um, like mm. he he goes out of his way to, to just really make it clear that he's a piece of shit in this short appearance in this chapter. <sighs> yep, what a piece of shit. <laughs> um. Okay, so, okay, I, I hinted at this thing as well before where we were talking about the relationship between Avery and Snowdrop and how it's being kind of infected by their connection to each other or, or their personalities are being infected by their connection to each other, I guess. Um, and she, Snowdrop, there's a scene where she's about to start running from the from the brownies and she thinks she knew the fundamentals of running from the Avery download, which presumably is... Snowdrop acknowledging that she has major parts of Avery inside of her, which we didn't know that she knew about, but Avery just learned about it. So maybe Snowdrop also has implicitly <laughs> learned about it. Yeah, I I maybe get the the impression that Snowdrop has sort of always known that, and I think I think we've talked about it about since it happened. I feel like Avery's the only person who's just learning about this. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to view Snowdrop as this as this being that's like you know part opossum part forest ribbon trail part avery and, and mm. like where the balances lie between these things and now maybe with a tinge of goblin mixed in as a fourth aspect like yeah i, I i'm so fascinated like where snowdrop's gonna go as as you know something that's representing like a, a mixture of all these various aspects of the world mm. yeah um yeah it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's what we're kind of diving into is the link between Snowdrop and Avery and, and the to borrow a term from a different Wabo story, the personality bleed between them. <laughs> oh, is it just one? I guess it. That's a another question. It's just one way, right? Like Avery's not becoming more and more like an opossum, is she? I don't know enough about opossums. To say no for sure, but I haven't picked up on anything that's hinting that. But mm. like, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. <laughs> mm. Maybe we are just missing it. I have to read up on our opossums more and keep an eye out. But um, yeah, I mean, I it, like you're. Right. I feel like this is sort of what this chapter in particular is starting to talk about. Like, Snowdrop is other, but you know, being other is because she's part of a human, of a, a person, like Avery. And we sort of talked about how like people are okay to just focus on the animal part, like you know, oh, treat others a bit like animals, like mm. she's an opossum. But she, you know, there's there's a decent chunk of human sentience in there as well, and like I think mm. that's probably more important. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, the fact that she is confirmed in universe to have some human humanity in her, you'd think makes it an easier bridge for the practitioners to cross to just like treat her like a human being. But I don't know. I mean, look at human beings' track records of treating other human beings like human beings. Yeah, um, <laughs> true. True. Uh, yeah, and I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, I think we've talked about this, but like, as far as I'm aware, almost every other we've met, or I, I, at this point, I'll just say every other we've met has, to some degree, come from humans. Yeah. Um, like every, I think yeah. we talked about the Kennet ones to death. The fairy of the only one we're maybe a little bit unsure about, but like, you know, we even see things like John and like the librarian animus, I think was said to be similar to John. Like every other we're meeting are mm. of humanity to some degree. So yes. it's sort of what, what we're talking about here with uh, Snowdrop kind of applies to every other. Mm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 
True. I mean, I, you know what, Elliot? I'm just going to, maybe this is controversial, but I'm just going to say it. I think they should treat others better in this world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, hold on. Give me, well, we have to think about step this. Step back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, Snowdrop runs away from the uh, brownies and kind of barrels full and tilt Seth. into. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it runs from the frying pan into a different fire. Uh, the librarian animus. Yeah, I love how Nina. Like this is a side note because it happens in multiple chapters, but I just love how yeah. Nina is always shushing people because this is a goddamn <laughs> library. Um, yeah, like, that's her style. Yeah, I just wonder if she has some like ultimate aggro. For, like, if you don't shut up in the library, what does she do? Yeah, like, do, what does she turn into? Does she have some sort of bookworm form or something? Yeah, no, I bet she. What's a bookworm like some kind of big, giant, fleshy worm? Yeah. Is that what you mean? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm, just, I was just trying to think of, of something horrifying. A big, fleshy worm. That is horrifying. I wonder if that kind of thing exists in this world. Um, anyway, so I hadn't even... When Snowdrop first runs into Nina, I hadn't even put it together that, like, oh, wait, Nina's obviously not going to be thrilled with Snowdrop because Snowdrop is the book burner. <laughs> uh, but Snowdrop kind of starts to realise this and uh, almost immediately it's like, oh, shit, this is not a safe haven. And that's, like, the theme of this chapter, right? Oh, shit, yep. we're actually not in a safe haven right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I didn't put that together until Snowdrop did either. So, like, Nina mentions the book burning or whatever and then Snowdrop's like, oh, shit, and then it was like a second later i was like mm. right shit um yeah okay <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> um yeah. i mean the interesting thing is like nina doesn't th- there's no outward aggression from nina like either she doesn't know or well actually i kind of has to assume she doesn't know i don't i don't know if she'd forgive her but um yeah again you're right it's that thing of like they're they're just you know due to circumstances is a reason that snowdrop can't feel safe uh i feel like she, her tea isn't going to get poisoned by nina mm. yeah um do you think that nina was actually you know coming after snowdrop here it's a bit ambiguous i i don't she think, seems so nice i don't think she was coming after snowdrop like i don't i don't get the impression this was all part of some ploy or scheme yeah. um in the, but that said the other half of that is then i have to believe that she doesn't know snowdrop's the one who did it um, mm. although i thought she maybe overheard i don't know yeah i don't know maybe she does she she definitely i i don't think there's anything to actually imply that she was going to go after snowdrop it's just snowdrop has reason to think she would and that's just enough for her to not feel safe there mm. yeah fair enough you just kind of i mean this is what we're talking about as another you just kind of have to constantly be worried and kind of minimize the the damaging situations that you put yourself into potentially damaging i suppose yeah yeah um there's also there are a few bits here where it seems like Nina understands what Snowdrop is saying. Like this, yes. this was actually the point when I was reading the chapter the first time where I started to doubt that I was right, that things were being flipped outside mm. Snowdrop's perspective. Um, but like, cause you know, I think it's a bit where she's like, Oh, do you want tea? And Snowdrop says yes. And then Nina says some stuff and then she's like, Oh, just promise you won't spill any. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, okay, so she's going to give her the tea. And, and there's a bit later on, um, Snowdrop's talking to some weird other, who's like a big hairy thing. I can't remember much more about what it looked like, but uh, mm. outside and she seems to have no trouble communicating with it either. So there's like, there's almost this weird thing being set up. Where it's like, she, she's actually fine to communicate with a bunch of the others from the looks of it. Mm. Like, um, I, I wonder if the brownies actually could understand her <laughs> and, and see the right thing. And, and just wanted the opportunity to make some bonky donks. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. They definitely don't. And we've definitely, like the goblins don't. 
the yes. goblins here. Well, I mean, Cherry Pop at yeah, least exactly. definitely doesn't. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure exactly like what the rule might be about whatever it is, but like I don't it it fits into the metaphor for me that some others would just sort of be able to understand Snowdrop as she intends. Um, mm. Especially if, if you sort of try to link it to some sort of metaphor for speaking a foreign language. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I think that works. Um, so, of course, Snowdrop what runs from this one potentially dangerous situation and goes to another, uh, which is uh, she runs away and fi- immediately runs into Nicolette, who then offers <laughs> to help. I, I really loved this moment of, like, somebody comes to sort of help her against this other thing, and she's like, yes. Oh, oh God, no! That's Nicolette. Like the, yeah, the, the way that text is is delivered is phenomenal. Um, yeah, when she rec- she recognizes the voice, and you're like, oh, thank God, it's Avery, and then it's not Avery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, the delivery of the dread overcoming her as she rises to Nicolette is great. Um, and I mean, yeah, it ends up being fine because, uh, like, especially after these two chapters, I'm I'm ready to declare Nicolette best friend. Um, mm. but. Obviously, as we know, Snowdrop is not in a position to trust uh, Nicolette right now well, mm-hmm. at this stage. I think that's fair enough. Very I, valid I, reasons for not not completely trusting Nicolette. Yeah, I uh, I'm a bit worried. I I'm a bit worried about Nicolette. We'll get to this a bit later, I guess. I don't know what to think about her, but anyway, you know, I've been one hundred. I've one hundred percent bought in. I'm. I'm ready to have the rug pulled out from under me if it turns out she's still a baddie because I, I've 100% added her to my, like, goodies list. To my goodies <laughs> list, yeah, exactly. And the fact that Zed vouches for her is, like, very... Yeah, well, I've got the same thing with Zed. Yeah. Zed and Bray have both gone, like, top spots on the goodie list, which is just, like, yeah. there's actually, I think, a number of reasons to maybe be concerned that Zed's not 100% on the up and up, yeah. um, but I've been ignoring those, and I'm doing the same with whatever signs there are about Nicolette, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Nicolette genuinely is quite helpful here. She helps broker a peace treaty between Snowdrop and the Brownies. Hmm. And, I mean, you know, she, she, you know, basically has to force Snowdrop into trusting her, but like she does and it works. So it seems like a good thing that, you know, if, if we're, if we're talking about how this chapter is showing us that, you know, she can't really feel safe anywhere, but then Nicolette does come up and, and steps up and actually helps her and, I I, that, I just have to believe that she's a goodie if she's going to be the person doing that. I don't know. Yeah, um, fair enough. Well, she 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 must be a goodie, surely, <laughs> if she's going to be doing this much good stuff. Counter to what I'm about to say, like in the next chapter. <laughs> okay. Um, there's this very funny moment. <laughs> I think the highlight of the chapter to me when uh, Nicolette is asking Snowdrop, like, "Oh, is there anything else that you that you want to ask for from these?" brownies and snow i'll read the quote out snowdrop says i don't need any bonky donks i know they're a problem and nicolette just says oh no <laughs> and immediately like cracked up reading that and then they go off and make these like flaming misshapen bonky or no the bonky donks are great but they just fuck up the kitchen in the process oh yeah and it's like um like they've got like the brownies themselves are covered in burns. One's got like the logo of Bonky Donks like seared into their, their forehead <laughs> or something. Um, yeah, but <laughs> it's it's uh, it's hilarious. Like, like this is this is one of the peak moments of um the reverse snowdrop formula uh coming to fruition. I think the only one that topped it for me was the bit where Snowdrop flips off the Kenneth Tears accidentally and Verona <laughs> just manually adjusts. I, I feel like the manual adjustment 
is a huge part of why that moment works so well. Oh, like, yeah. Because the delivery of just everyone did thumbs up and it's like, Snowdrop joined them. And then Verona like pushed down her middle finger and lifted up her thumb. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Snowdrop regroups with the trio um, and they they have a quick chat. And Lucy kind of raises this thought that the run of bad luck that they seem to have been having is because of Alexander and his strife manipulation. Yes, uh, which I think is the exact same level of tinfoil uh, we were working off last week. So, so yes, I in fact, I think you list. said something like this last week. So good job yeah. to you. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we should talk about this at the end of next chapter because uh, there's there's more to this uh, as of next chapter, I think. Yeah. Um, I also want to touch on just one other thing that we can talk about more uh, after next chapter, which is I actually have this sinking feeling that Alexander is is potentially messing with them or, you know, m- manipulating things a bit. Um, it, not to fuck with them, but to get Nicolette really in their good books as a kind of, you know, agent of his. Um, so, yeah, th- that's my mm. theory that's starting to emerge. I, I think that for- theory because I can see it. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about it more when we get to that part of 4.8. Um, yeah. Sure. Anyway, we jump into 4.8, which is from Lucy's perspective, and we start off two weeks ago, which was a pretty good surprise. Yeah, I I didn't see that coming. Um, like I I mean, we you know I didn't see the two two week or three weeks skip ahead coming either. But like it was cool. I did not expect after that happens for us to jump back and and I think it's good as well because I don't want to lose touch with Kenneth and its characters while we're in the school. Yeah, like, me I don't neither. know. I, I don't know how long of the story we're going to be here but you know like if arc five is in the school as well i don't want to say like arc six come back to kennet because I, I feel like the story has to sort of wrap up in kennet and i like i wouldn't want to get back there in arc six and be like wait who's cherry pop again um mm. so like I, I think it's i think this is a cool way to to make sure that we're still in touch with, with kennet while being at the school and it sounds like we're going to be doing like trips back and forth anyway so it shouldn't be a concern but still yeah, um, it seems like the way 4.8 goes, we're going to get back into Kennet and have a few Kennet shenanigans as a kind of like, you know, interlude from uh, from from the Blue Heron Institute, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're back two weeks ago and Lucy is practicing her dueling with Guillaume and he is giving her pointers on how to be a better uh, fey duelist. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, like, you know, we're, we're seeing a bit more where this... Uh... Thing is, oh, you know, because this was what she was listed as. She was listed as a fairy sword fighter in that student guide. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was at this point, I was actually sort of ready to say, "Oh, th- maybe this is an accurate read on what she's becoming." But Lucy actually kind of says the opposite at the end of the chapter. Um, mm. So I think she's maybe going to be fairy adjacent, but there's probably more to it. But uh, mm. yeah, like I, I don't know. It was it was cool because it's sort of like, well, this is where it starts happening. I'm like, oh yeah, we should have expected this. She was listed as such. There must have been more to it than just that one time she did it with Gilmay to get Melissa. Yeah, and that's what we see here. Um, yeah, it, interesting. I, I We see how in her element Lucy seems to be in this chapter um, during the part that we'll get to where she's kind of sparring with uh, with John. And I think that's very interesting seeing this type of, of, of you know, seeing this, this side of Lucy and seeing how into it she gets. Um, we'll get to that in a bit, though. Uh, first, I just want to pull out this line, which I think is very funny, which is uh, she's holding out her spear, and then Lucy shrugged. Is there a point? The boy smiled. 
to a spear, which is the fucking dorkiest joke I've ever heard. <laughs> but I just loved it. Um, classic Guillaume stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's very funny in a kind of stupid way, but like it it, it just highlights to me like imagine having to deal with the fairy like on the mm. regular, like if you if you were a fairy swordsman or whatever, and you did always have a fairy patron around, like, God, it would be exhausting. They're so <laughs> high effort all the time. I know, and there's so much. It's just, they're just always on, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you could just, you could, I could see myself breaking down after, like, three days and being like, could you just chill for five seconds? Like, I'm begging you, just for five seconds, could we just be genuine and, and mm. straightforward? <sighs> yep. Um... But no, I mean, oh well, he's. Uh, I guess he's genuine. He's not straightforward. I would say. Yeah. Well, Guillaume's always been this interesting. Like Marusica is is very much the like you know like ever since that first interview with her in like two dot two or whatever you know she's mm. dancing around and changing the topic and manipulating the conversation. Whereas Guillaume has this sort of blunt subtlety to him um, mm. that has always been like very fun, and I, I still struggle to find the words to explain it or compare it to how marisica works but yeah um it was described as a kind of blunter subtlety and i, I can't do any better than that like I, do, I don't feel like that captures it to me but he is he is fun in a different way because he he's not as like showy and, and verbose he's just kind of straight into the point he's just manipulating you with that point mm. yeah 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 exactly I, I think that's a good way to put it he he's one that's hard to to pin down that vibe, right? Um, but yeah. I think that's a good way of phrasing it. Um, so uh, th- this kind of lesson with Guillaume is basically Guillaume pushing Lucy to really think about who she wants to be and kind of uses Avery as an example of Avery has stopped and thought about what she wants to be, and we saw that in, like, the Forest Ribbon Trail and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Lucy has mainly been kind of reacting to situations and... Guillaume asks the question of, okay, well, stop reacting. Let's get proactive. What do you want to become? And and really the question is, do you want to be someone who is very aggressive or is willing to concede, right? Um, And she seems to land pretty firmly in the, no, I'm not going to concede ground to people. That's not the kind of person that I want to be. Yeah, he basically gets her to stop, like, like, you know, being what everyone tells her is the is the right way to do things like mm. her mom like you know her mom tells her like you know it's better to run or, or whatever and Guillaume's like yeah. well, what do you think like it's about it's about her coming out of of her shell and, and what society's sort of telling you and i mean like, this is you know Guillaume's fucking fight therapy like i love the moment where lucy's like i'm pretty mad because i think this is better than the actual therapy that i'm doing mm-hmm. um which is like a hilarious moment to me because she's here fucking sword fighting a fairy and getting free therapy on the side. Um, Even Verona is learning a thing or two. Like there's that great moment where Verona thinks she has Lucy completely pegged. And then uh, Lucy is like, well, no, that's fair. I do hold back a lot. And and Verona has to do some thinking. That's a fun moment. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a very fun, I mean, always with the fairy, it's just as fun as it is worrying um, Mm -hmm. is, is how I would describe the fairy. But yeah. uh, there's this other bit as well where, like, when Lucy is starting to express that idea, you said that she doesn't want to concede as much. Um, she says, I want to win, but I'm 13 and I'm inexperienced. I'm up against a few hundred or a few thousand years of experience and history here. Mm. And the first time I read this chapter, I actually just read that as her talking about fighting Guillaume. Mm. Like her saying, I can't beat you in a sword fight. I'm up against, like, hundreds of years of sword fighting with you. Yeah. Um, but she's just as much talking about, 
like fighting systemic oppression. Like it's a fantastic double yeah, speak line. It was the good, second time it? I was like, oh no, she's she's talking about like you know you know being uh, a black person wanting to sort of fight the system. She's fighting against a lot of history there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really good double speak line. Uh, Lucy, she's so great. <laughs> <sighs> she really is. Um, so Guillaume starts showing her uh, a new strategy, kind of helping her do these things to decorate the battleground, kind of taking these swords that she sees with her sight and putting them into the real world, um, thereby kind of making the battleground hers in a very tangible way. Uh, and then to put this to the test, uh, Johnny Styles shows up to, uh, to to do a bit of sparring practice. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So before we get to the fight with John, um, I love Gilmay gives her this speech about how like a weapon should not only be an extension of your body, but of yourself. And mm. this is such a fantastic example to me of what I love about the other verse. Cause like, you know, the fucking, the sword instructor telling the hero that the weapon must be an extension of your body is such a tired trope. Mm. Um, and what pale has done is sort of taken it and added a cool extra twist to it. Like, you know, Oh, we'll add a bit of magic, add an extra layer to it that integrates with the world. And now I am suddenly enjoying what is usually a trope where I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. The sword's an extension of your body. Um, mm-hmm. So like, like 10 out of 10, like this is the sort of stuff I love how even just a trope that usually makes me roll my eyes. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, in this world. Gets gets put into, I, I mean, it just is the idea of taking tropes and having them be, you know, humans and their belief reinforce them in a tangible way and kind of retroactively justify them. It's just so great <laughs> and it just leads to so many great moments where you're like oh shit this is so awesome you know yeah but it's even like I, I don't even think it just there's not many times where the stories rely on oh well that is the trope so it's fine because we've established tropes are allowed here there's often mm. usually some angle to it whether it's like this sort of meta self-awareness of the fact they are a trope or, or in this case like just adding one extra little bit to it that just freshens it up like there's always something that just makes it not feel like a trope Mm, yeah 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 it just it keeps it fresh right yeah exactly like this is like this is in some ways not at all different to just saying the sword must be an extension of your body uh but Mm. we've had so much build up around what the self is in pale that now it's sort of like okay um we're going to take that concept and add another layer to it and and have you do extra stuff to it that integrates with this world in such a cool way yeah um yeah speaking of of people integrating with the world in a cool way we get this battlefield that lucy has set up and she kind of starts using it effectively the way she uses it is as an infinite supply of blades which is pretty fun (laughs) um but she kind of is able to shape it in a way that feels very much like how we understand a domain works right like yeah it has become temporarily analogous to a domain to her where she can just kind of be like hey work with me you know support me do what i need you to do um which is great yeah i agree i definitely linked made that same link of thinking this seems similar to what we understand a domain is as having like a domain being a place that is you and that's sort of mm. what she does here um because mm. i remember I, like i made this prediction i think in early arc one that like lucy will get a domain avery will get a familiar and verona will get an implement um mm. and like looking at it now i you know avery didn't get a familiar she's gotten snowdrop who is this sort of you know we've been getting we keep getting told recently boon companions are these like more natural and equitable 
versions of, of being a familiar maybe and mm. like maybe that's what lucy's getting here she's not going to get a domain but she's getting something that is similar in some ways but like less you know she's not claiming the space it's not this yeah it's not a part of the system where she's like i own this now it's like a space where she's like i'm just going to use this right now and and make a, it a less colonialist version of yeah, these basically. rituals yeah <laughs> um yeah and like verona you know so i i said verona might get an implement and you know we know she's got her pair of scissors that she's currently tweaking and so maybe she won't turn them into an implement but she's going to do something a bit more novel with them and maybe that mm. will tie into her plan to become an other in some way like mm. i guess we'll see but um yeah wait so now i'm changing that original theory from arc one to be uh, what as wild practitioners they're going to get more natural and fairer uh versions of those three big things hmm. yeah i think that's good i think it's um uh, you know yeah i kind of made the connection that we'd seen sort of that with avery especially in the past few chapters where snowdrop has kind of been explicitly called out as hey are you a familiar and avery and snowdrop is kind of like oh you know kind, <laughs> kind of. of kind of um, but not really and now with the domain yeah i i guess that that would be quite cool to see if it uh if it uh, comes true yeah especially because like that this is like a, such a cool way to take the the basic idea because what what those things give you in this world is like a power boost right like having this familiar tied to having this land you you claim um mm. that, that does give you power in this established system and, and these these guys are kind of getting something similar-ish with similar-ish power boosts but they're not having to take um like like that system sort of requires like lucy doesn't have mm. to permanently take a part of the world as a domain mm. um yeah it's cool yeah cool um i think we see this fight against john and i think i'm gonna make a big statement here which is lucy has become officially my favorite of the kenneteers she's just <laughs> so great i i've just been fully converted into a lucy fan now I mean, she she kicks ass in this scene. Like it's, yeah, yeah. She's great. She's a she's a real champion with an uppercase C. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and like this, especially because like her fighting John feels really really important to me because, and she 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 does briefly bring this up, but like one of the first things that happened in this story was her getting traumatized because he held a gun to her head. Um, mm. and now here we are. What, like five weeks later or something the timeline's getting a bit fuzzy for me again but she's basically able to go toe-to-toe against him um well for you know seven seconds or whatever it is but yeah she's yeah. definitely come a long way yeah just i mean just the bravery of being able to do that against him considering that's how they started off like is impressive in its own right um mm. so yeah like i like it, it just felt very poetic which is probably why Gillamé thought of it um that she'd be fighting john like this mm yeah ah oh, what a great what a great fight it is it just feels so compelling yeah yeah it's like we don't usually cover them in the podcast because you know it's hard to read much too much into it but like it's it's so wobbo fighting scenes are always so great yeah like, it, it's a very visceral one this one where she's going like fucking knife to knife against uh john yeah yeah um and so b- before we move on and, and jump back to the present um i feel like we should chat about Gilme because as you brought up beforehand uh he's very important to avery uh he's the one providing her her glamour and helping her become her best self mm. every time we jump into her head there's at least one reference to Gilome says like i've got to do this um he's obviously very important to lucy now as her um uh, her her sword coach um so he's almost become the most important other uh, or kennet other to two of our three 
can it is, which is either very good or very bad. Mm. Um, mm. I'm personally yeah. rooting for good, but um, I'm interested <laughs> to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I guess it's interesting. I, I would agree that it's not necessarily all of them, but then I think about how obsessed Verona is with turning into animals, and maybe it is all of them. Oh, um, see, that's, I, I would put, yeah, well, I suppose there's two sides to this, because the other side is what does it say about Verona that she's maybe not with Guillermo? See, I would have said uh, Verona is Team Marcy, if anything. Oh, um, I see. Right. Which I, I, yeah, I, I, so I guess just to cut the chase, like I, I have this whole theory about, how, like I'm, I'm still sticking to my theory that Marcy and Guillaume are like very anti each other, and mm-hmm. Marcy has helped construct all this Carmine Beast bullshit to get that note as a pl- as a play, yeah, yeah, which means that I, I'm, I, I formed a bit more of a theory now, and I'll get into it in a sec, like about how Guillaume is actually a hero, um, and will be on the side of the Kennedys to help them fight Marcy. So it's it's going to be very interesting to see where Verona falls in on all that because. She's not as attached to Guillaume as the others, I don't think, and she she leans a bit more towards Marcy. So you know, it's gonna. It, I, I don't know if there's gonna be conflict between the three because of that, but it'll be interesting to see how dominoes start to fall if Marcy and Guillaume, if their plans go into action, and and Verona is a different a domino for a different side than the other two. Yeah, I I think the thing that it makes me think is just thinking about the interactions that these three have had with the Kennet others. It seems like they've become the most dependent on the Fey, right? Like, yeah, which everyone warned them about not doing. I know. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, obviously, they they seem to have better interactions with like Matthew, for example, or they seem to like Alpi more. But they don't. When you compare it to like their interactions with Matthew, Alpi, or the goblins, or any of them, yeah, how, how often they, they go into them to get exactly. Help. Yeah. It seems like they're going to the face so much for help, and that's worrying. That's what that's the main thing that I that jumps out to me as like being pretty worrying. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so to get into my theory, I'm basically my my big theory is that Guillaume is actually going to be kind of a good guy with at least within this story. I'm not saying he's twist a good person, but I think like within the scope of of the story we're talking about here, he's going to be on the right side. Mm. Um, because, because like you know, we we used to talk to like the summer court is is this more uh, blunt, subtle, um, mm. and they seem to in particular be obsessed with these like you know very Greek hero tropes. And so I, I could see it being the thing that like Guillaume is get, actually getting a genuine kick out of being like you know Danny DeVito's character in Hercules, like the mm. the person who trains the heroes. Yeah. Um. So you know, while he's while he's mourning uh, his beloved and and needing to protect Kenneth, he's actually finding enjoyment out of taking out of playing this tutor role. Yeah, exactly. Like I think maybe this is how he's getting his enjoyment, and like he does as well. He wants to stick it to Marcy and stop her from getting the note. So, mm. um, yeah, like I'm I'm basically building all this to construct a scenario where uh, Gilmay is actually going to be an ally for the Kennetiers. Mm. Um, which will be, I think, very fun. Like seeing Guillaume and Marcy kind of turn into two sides of a conflict uh, could mm. be very entertaining. Mm. Yeah, that would I, be interesting. I, I assume they'll just be like you know dominoes that have been getting built up for twenty years by each of them fucking falling left and right, and it could be a complete clusterfuck. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that will happen. I, I mean, I guess if we get to the actually the bad, the big bad has been Marcy the whole time, then something like that will probably happen. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's going to be like angles to it because I think Marcy will be. 
I think Marcy will have been involved in the the Carmine Beast killing thing, but again, I think it's just to destabilize the region to get this note. So it almost feels like that will. <laughs> I could see it being alongside the Carmine Beast stuff. Like we find out yeah. Marcy was one of the culprits, and then we find out she doesn't give a shit at all about the Carmine Beast stuff. Yeah. She's just after this note. And then we have to do the fairy stuff, and that's like once that's resolved, Edith then or whatever the, the fuck walks out of, wearing the yeah. fur. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, we'll see. Uh, so yeah, we we jump back. We jump back to the present, and the group are discussing with Verona what she has to do, what she should do. Ah, uh, yes, this is in reference to uh, her dad actually maybe being sick. Probably, yeah, almost certainly. Um, although, again, man, how funny would it be if it was just a manipulation, <laughs> and we can be like, oh wait, no, there's no ambiguity here. He's just a piece of shit. Go back to school. I mean, at that point, I, I don't feel like anyone would blame Verona for just sort of doing whatever to just cut ties. Mm, yeah. Like if she if yeah. she flipped out and, and did something drastic at that point, I'd find it really hard to look within myself and find a side that blames her for that or, or thinks it wasn't the right call. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, this is tough because I, like, even after reading it twice, I don't know what I would recommend Verona do um because mm. she's very attached to this idea of not playing his game but as she says that's not really what this is but then kind of maybe it is or it's a way to get trapped back into doing that mm. but also he is her dad and she does love him on some level and it's just like it's just you know it's that class as we said it's that wobber situation of it's it's worse than i could have possibly imagined um and i i hate this but i love it i can't wait to see where it goes yeah it's it there's no good resolution to this right like think about okay what if he dies like what if he's even more bedridden like what happens if he gets better and then he's shitty about Vernon just not being there when he was sick like, yeah, like rad there's literally style. no good outcome yeah yeah i wonder if there is like some connection we should draw between rad ray and his kid uh and Verona. um yeah, no, him getting like proper bedridden and actually needing to rely on Verona would be fucking mm. awful because it's mm-hmm. like if he's genuinely sick and bedridden, that's more mm. of a situation where it's like, okay, maybe, you know, she should do stuff, but it's like he's poisoned the relationship to the point where it's like, mm, in this instance, maybe not. Like, uh, and he says he's called her mum as well. So, like, you just know if she goes back to visit him in the hospital, the mum's going to be there as well. And that'll be a whole fucking can of worms. Like, it's <sighs> just. <laughs> yep. Uh, I almost, I almost want Verona to just be what, to just say, "Fuck it, I'm staying at school." Um, mm. Yeah, what a mess. Yeah. <sighs> yep. Um, things that aren't a mess, though. Lucy. I mean, when, <laughs> I know we're in her head here, but as a recent convert to Lu- the Lucy Number One crew, she's just so on top of everything. Like in this interaction, there's a few moments where Avery seems like she's about to kind of push a little bit too far or just step a toe slightly over the line. Lucy's right there to be like, no, no, you know, cut that line of questioning out or whatever. She's great. She's awesome. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think like, she handles this really well, and it doesn't seem to drain her like it did at the start of the story to kind of manage these two. Like, it's just mm. it's a very natural extension of her. Like, I mean, you know, obviously the theme of this chapter is Lucy has kind of found herself, um, mm. and and that that's sort of found here where she's just sort of knows what she thinks she sort of wants to happen and it is just able to express that a lot easier than like the stressful way it was happening in, in arcs one and two. 
Mm. It sort of led to her having that meltdown after uh, Avery did the Pam thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess now that she is actually getting more support from the Kenneteers, she she can kind of be herself a bit more, I suppose. Um, yeah. And I, think, and I think, you know, her therapy and her therapy um, have both <laughs> helped. Do you say therapy? Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. Um, you know, have both been helping too. Yeah, I just, I just thought of that then. Uh, I hope Excellent it comes work. across in audio. You're a champion, um, <laughs> yeah. For anyone uh, who missed it, it it's what, F- a A A P Y. Yeah. Th- therapy. <laughs> like th- if you're going to spell therapy, but you've messed up two letters by mistake. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's actually really interesting. Like if, if people are thinking about rereading chapters as well, I quickly skimmed uh, 4.6, which was our other Lucy chapter post time skip um, mm. with this chapter in mind. And it's really like, it, it sort of, it reframed that chapter a bit for me. Like, seeing her interactions with the other kids about jumping off the bridge and mm. her confidence and just kind of being like, eh, not for me. Um, seeing how she manages to actually hold back uh, against Ray, uh, you know, fucking stirring her pot. Um, yeah. Like, it, it's interesting seeing that stuff reframed with, uh, like, Guillaume's sword lessons in mind. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, so... The trio have their meeting with Alexander, and they start discussing the uh, the you know who landlord situation. <laughs> he who must not be named, as he's called. I think we used that joke about Alexander like last week. Um, we got to say it about whoever's not in the conversation. Um, also, yeah, Nicolette is here, and I know that you've got your conspiracy theory that I don't mm-hmm. like because it actually adds up. Um, mm-hmm. but I, again, I've put her on team goody. I'm going to stick with that. So I'm, I'm ready to be bamboozled, but, um, <laughs> I like Nicolette in this scene is delightful because she's clearly ribbing Alexander as, like, as much as she can. Um, she, she has her moments though. Like sometimes I'm just like, Nicolette, you're such an idiot. Like she, so she talks about, she actually knows one of the tenants of Bristow's mm. uh, place. And it's, it's the boy from her interlude. Like there was a moment in her yes. interlude where she was like, Oh, I got this blood uh, of insanity, and I related yeah. to the boy because I was insane. So I'm helping take care of him, and now we find out that Nicolette's version of helping take care of him is handing him over to Bristow, yeah. shacking um, him up with Bristow, which <laughs> clearly is a mistake. Yeah, it's just like wait, Nicolette, I love you, but sometimes you're just a bit of an idiot. Um, mm. And yeah, like you know, she's trying to help Melissa at the moment, right? And you sort of see that. Wait, we saw the same thing where it's like, oh, I'm helping Melissa. There's some doctor gonna get in contact with her it's like yeah okay i mean i guess that is helpful but um sometimes yeah i don't know it's interesting mm. i, I want to be entirely team nicolette but she does stuff like this and i'm like nicolette what are you doing mm. you know this isn't right like tell me tell me that you know this isn't right please well it's because she's secretly a villain <laughs> i'm calling it um god I, I, I mean we'll dive into the apartment complex obviously next chapter but shit it's just so interesting oh my God. the fact that she collects these aware and they they all have their own horrifying stories yeah like i would 100 percent watch a tv show that's like set in this apartment complex like you know mm. each week focus on a different tenant um yeah like it, it's so rich the the just all the ideas and like you can almost feel that uh the extra material that we're going to dive into this week was because like wildbo just started thinking of ideas for alexander's little bits here and he just couldn't help himself, and suddenly we had this eight thousand word extra material piece because it was just so much fun to write. Mm, yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so something interesting that happened here, and maybe it's just because we're in Lucy's head that this was more obvious, but I feel like Avery, because of her background of not having close friends, just sees anyone who's like not overtly aggressive to her as an ally and is willing to just like completely open up her heart to them. <laughs> it She's not prepared for people who lie to her face and are secretly working against her as Alexander almost certainly is. Yeah. I mean, Alexander's definitely an extreme case because I think if you asked her, she'd be like, Oh yeah, we can't trust him. But like, she's got this natural like openness. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. You, you know, and, and this is something like Lucy and Avery have talked about, like Lucy kind of defaults to not, really trusting people they have to prove that they're trustworthy mm. um whereas like avery tends to default to trusting people and i think it means in a conversation like this with alexander it, like like you said when he's not being outwardly aggressive she kind of defaults to trusting him a bit um and and accidentally reveals more information than she probably should have mm. yeah um yeah she really should have not done that uh, but that's all right <laughs> um oh speaking of a what's in avery's head can you imagine okay so there's this quote where they're describing people in the apartments and there's this description of the old man who has fallen so deep into the pattern of watching television all day every day that he stopped eating stopped sleeping stopped using the washroom and my immediate reaction to this was is like is that grumble has grumble somehow gotten into this apartment complex and that can't be the answer but <laughs> it feels like it's intentionally evocative of what avery was thinking about with grumble before she went to the blue heron institute right yeah like i hadn't put that together but as soon as you said it i, I was like yes like that was that was pretty much the exact beat we hit the last time we saw him in person um mm. so i don't think it is him in this mm. in here but like is he on his way there? Like, cause they, one of the things that comes up is like, Oh, could you save the TV person? It's like, no, the, the couch potato has lost something that cannot be recovered. Yeah. Um, and it's like, Oh, okay. Like, should we be worried about grumble? Um, mm. I've got to admit my response to reading that one the first time was, Hey, who told hey, Wombo? How dare you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Like I think we're worried about grumble because the TV he's watching is like conservative news, but, um, Maybe this is just another reason uh, to be worried. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, oh, okay. <laughs> Here's another one that I liked. Another Lucy moment that I really liked when uh, uh, Nicolette starts serving tea and is offering like sugar cubes. And Lucy's thought <laughs> is sugar cubes, a woman serving the tea. What was this? The 1950s, which is just like such a great way That's to so summarize good. the whole vibe that Alexander seems to have around him. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a thing. Like, Pale continues to kind of scratch away at the line between, like, the metaphor and real life. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's such a good line. Mm. Yeah. It's good times. Um, okay, so Nicolette takes out some dossiers, kind of outlining who she thinks will be sent to Kenneth to investigate, and we get to read those dossiers in our bonus material, yeah. so we'll talk about those then. Yeah. Um, and then almost immediately after that, Lucy kind of leads the charge on demanding some form of recompense from Alexander in exchange for the huge mess that he is dumping onto this trio. <laughs> yeah, I like I love this so much because this this whole the whole first half of the conversation, he's sort of like, you know, oh, I'm being very nice and I'm sticking to the deal and I'm helping you. And like I was just reading this, I was like, no, you're not. Like you, yeah. you're not. And and so just the moment where Lucy's like, hey fuck you, you've wronged us. It was just, uh, it was delicious. Like, I was like, yes, like, l let him have it. 
Um, <laughs> especially because like they they finally sort of bring up the point. Um, hey, we could always just go and tell Bristow, hey, it's us, nothing to do with Alexander. Um, please leave Kenneth alone. And mm. I think they even bring up siding with him, which then Alexander's like, I'll expel you. Um, but like you know, there's middle ground there. Um, yeah, especially if they do expel him, they have all the more reason to make sure Bristow wins the scrap, right? Yeah, it's a good point. They could just make a deal with Bristow to get reinstated. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, especially because like, and like I'm 99 sure Alexander's aware of this, but like Alexander's whole thing is, oh, you know, it's actually fine because we don't have anything to worry about Bristow going there because he's just going there looking for my huge hidden cache of power, which I don't mm. actually have. And I was just sitting there and thinking, look, let's be honest, we all know that there is actually a giant cache of power sitting somewhere <laughs> in this town um, that is just like, you know. We don't want Bristow to end up walking out of there with the fucking Carmine Beast's power on axe. That sounds mm. that sounds even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just so many layers of this where I'm just like, fuck off, Alex. You know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Very problematic. Um so okay, so they have this conversation where they're kind of asking Alexander for these things. And there are a lot of things proposed, but actually there isn't that much that's concretely agreed upon here. Um one of the only things is that Alexander will avoid kind of knowing what classes they're taking uh, as a way of like not learning that much more information. There are other things that are proposed of like, oh, you will get three extra months of time and, and all that stuff. But there's never an agreement on that. So I'm kind of, it, it seems a little unsure exactly what Alexander has agreed to here. Yeah, I Apart definitely. From keeping, you know, not paying too close attention to them. Yeah, I, I definitely struggled to even on my second read, understand exactly what was agreed to and what was just proposed. Yeah. I think the only two things I'm confident were actually agreed on were uh, the not looking into classes. And I think the three-month extension was something they said yes to, but it's like, I don't know. I feel like you got to get, e- even in this world, maybe get like a written agreement, don't rely on verbal contracts unless mm. it's like very defined. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you need some. you need some more concrete stuff, I guess. Just at the very least, because only actually agreeing to the written one means that you can like check the wording. It's, it's a lot harder to slip in some phrasing that can be abused on the letter of the law uh, later if if it's written down. I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so okay. So he, the other thing that we get confirmed here is Alexander is not behind the strife that has been plaguing them. Um, yeah, which Nor seems to have at least hit Snowdrop and probably Lucy. Yes, and so they think it's a defection of one of the other one of Alex's other students. Which, first of all, it's hilarious that Nicolette's the one that calls that out, <laughs> knowing <laughs> what we know. Um, but the second thing that this made me realize is, oh my god, this is great! We might get a chance to see Chase or Seth being taken down by Lucy with a sword, which is all I really ever wanted. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's it's almost like I don't think it's Chase or Seth just because them turning out to be like extra evil or like evil or whatever just seems so obvious. Like I mm-hmm. like just it was so immediately obvious to me. It's like, well, can we go ask Chase and Seth? Mm-hmm. Um, they seem like such obvious candidates. I feel like it'll have to be something else. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, we learned about someone who would be capable of something similar in the in the next extra material. So. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not him. But like, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it'll be something a little bit more than just oh, it was Chase or Seth. But maybe I'm wrong. But I, I, I'm also prone to overthinking these things. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I. It must be Chase or Seth, so that we get a chance to fight them. That's <laughs> that, all I mean, I'm I want. definitely on board with 
seeing them get put in their place. Um, <laughs> so just again, like Nicolette is just so fun in this conversation. Like her on the side, like just like the way she's like, you know, oh, you three are great. And Alexander's like, either be quiet or leave. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to stay. Um, <laughs> there's definitely nothing I, that jumped out to me that disproves your theory. But I just yeah. enjoy the idea of Nicolette sitting here enjoying the Kenneteers tearing Alex apart too much to to believe in your theory. Um, yeah, uh, although possibly that's being allowed slash encouraged by Alex because he wants to have an agent, you know, close to them. No, no, that's absolutely possible, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, and I mean, obviously, like, Nicolette kind of rounds this out with a comment about how fun it is because she, she uses this term negative binding, which I don't think we mm. knew. Um, mm. But basically this idea that you you can fight things with their opposites. Um, and these three are kind of the opposite of Alexander, who you know, is representative of the system, and these three are representative of like wildness, I suppose, uh, mm. to, to use the term wild practitioner. Um, and just like how much they're able to throw him off his game just by not conforming to the system in any way. Like it's just so fun. And I'm glad Nicolette is like our audience surrogate for this scene and is just enjoying it as much as we are. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I found myself uh, giggling at a lot of the things that Nicolette was kind of snarkily saying throughout this scene. Yeah, like you felt like she just couldn't help but like come in and be like, "I love you three After the second half of this conversation, by the way, like she was, mm. she seemed so genuinely on board with them, and I, I hope that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I hope so too. I, I know I brought up the Nicolette's actually evil theory, but I really do hope that it's not the case. <laughs> Um, anyway, so that's the end of 4.8, uh, and we now get to the extra material, which is those dossiers that Nicolette threw out uh, in the previous chapter. And they're pretty much just notes on the six people, that three of which we might be likely to see in Kennet. I think it was at least three, and honestly, after reading this, these dossiers, I kind of hope it's all six. Well, actually, I, know. I could pass up on the, the psychopath guy yeah. um, that we'll get to just because like, he's scary. Um, I also think the the kind of golden age hero type, the Groundhog Day protagonist, oh, yeah. probably is too easily able to be talked out of attacking Kenneth just because he seems like he'd be a chill dude. That's um, true. That's true. But so I'd that love probably to, means I'd love they're to see him. Be there. Oh yeah, me too. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, anyway, let's let's yeah, talk let's, through the let's go into them. Uh, first is the Gilded Lily, uh, Clem. Yes. Uh, you know she's just. Uh, well, I mean, she's just a real fucking tragedy, isn't it? It's like, so sad. This is really horrifying. Like, well, okay, the most horrifying part is one of the first things that happens is she gets granted three wishes, which are all <laughs> kind of monkeys poured. One is for her best friend to stay with her for the summer, which happens because her friend's parents are getting divorced or something like that. Yep. One is for her family to get thousands and thousands of dollars, which becomes the, like, a life insurance payment for their mother or something like that. Um and then the third guess is that she, the third wish is that she has a dolphin to ride. And I was so sad we don't get to find out <laughs> how that manifests, which is maybe the only thing I've ever wanted. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is a, a brilliant little bit of writing. Like, I, I think it was very intentional. Bob was just like, and a dolphin to ride. And I'm not going to tell them what happened <laughs> how with that, that one. Wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, um, it's brilliant. And I hate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Wait, I think what's really funny about this this Gilded Lily segment is it ends up being about half of the entire 
extra material. This extra material, yeah. it's like 8,000 words. It's like the length of a, of a normal chapter. Um, yeah. Usually they're a fair bit shorter. Um, but like this one, it's like half of it is just this one out of the six people. And yeah, I was just be- like, because it's comprised of like 20 sh- little, you know, paragraph long short stories, yeah. basically. Yeah, and I think, like, I, again, I'm convinced it's just because I reckon they were as much fun to write as they were to read. Like, oh, yeah. I I, assume, I, I I don't think Wobbo sat down and was like, this is going to be half of it. He was just like, uh, again, like, I'm just assuming he was just like, I'll just write a couple of examples and just ended up being so much fun. It was like, oh, I should probably move on to one of the others now. And that's why there's well, that bit where it's like, yeah. and now we sort of skip ahead because it's like, okay, I need to stop at some point and yeah. do the others. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I'm 100% sure that Wabo just has like a kind of list of interesting magical items that he never really got a chance to put into this story and he doesn't think is going to work in. And he's like, all right, now's my chance. Check them all <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as you said, I think you compared this to like an SCP thing. Oh, um, yeah. I, it I, totally I, is. I haven't read any of those. So I called it like a Magnus Archives highlight reel, but that's right. probably about very the same similar. Thing. Yeah. Um, exactly. It's it was so fun to read. These are great, like little short, short stories of yeah various kinds of horror. Like poor yeah. Clem, it just keeps going, and she's just trying to live a normal life. Like you kept saying, she's like, <laughs> like it's like one of the later ones. It's like she picked up a matchbox because she liked the artwork, and then it like you know burn her whole house down or some shit. It's just like <laughs> god damn it, like, this oh, poor girl Clem, is you just, poor thing. She's just she's just trying to be like so wholesome, and the world is falling apart around her. Yeah. Oh, poor Clem. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I want to spend more time talking about each of these, but maybe we should take a leaf out of Wildbo's book and then move on to the next ones. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, it, it. This is one of those things where, like, I almost just want to read out the whole extra, like the whole extra material. I know, this is so fun, but it's so um, we, this shouldn't just be a quoting the extra material show. Um, yeah. So the, the only other thing I want to sort of touch on here, like, as we start to get into them, is uh. I feel like there's a link between all of the aware and like mental illness or mm. like, you know, that's sort of the metaphor we're exploring here is the aware as people suffering from mental illnesses. Mm. Um, and like, I'm the furthest thing from being qualified to diagnose anything like that. So I'm not going to get bogged down in trying to map each one of these to a specific mental illness because like, I, I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about there. Um, mm. But I, I think like overall there's this, fairly apt metaphor for like some real life structures that are sort of like you know oh uh we saved you from being homeless because of your mental illness now you know uh live here and do this for us uh, like the exploitation <sighs> yeah. of of you know people with you know disabilities mental or mm. physical mm. Mm. interesting i mean even without the the parallels to mental illnesses it, that is just what it is <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna you know give you the bare minimum uh, uh, sorry not even give charge you for the bare minimum yeah. thing that is like you know and and co- completely make you kind of indentured into my uh, web as a result right yep. um, he, he doesn't seem to demand any kind of tangible favors from most of them but even the fact that they live there is a favor to him, right? Um, yeah, the fact that he's charging them rent on top—it was just a bit. Where I was like, "Come on, man!" Like, yeah, you're—they're already magically charging your diagram or some bullshit. Uh, yeah, you know, should they really? I, I guess rent could be a metaphor in these in these dossiers, but like, no, I get the feeling it's like as well as paying <laughs> no, his no. diagram, they're yeah, paying five. They're, they're paying two types of rent. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guarantee it's only the financial one that gets uh, lessened when they do jobs for him. Oh, and of course they they probably don't know that they're oh. that he's like feeding off of them. Of course they wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. Well, isn't it so as aware, most of them aren't fully grasping like yeah they they have loose over like areas of knowledge some of them know about others some of them know about practitioners you know yeah it's different levels yeah um so next up are shelly and daniel alitzer who are a bright eyes and a glamour drowned respectively yes uh and i think what's very fun about the concept of these two is we now sort of have straight up counters to the the fairy and Kenneth. Like I, I'm mm. pretty convinced we'll see these two just because yes. I feel like the fairy in particular have been built up in this story as kind of the scariest others in Kenneth. Like we yeah. saw Gilame was able to scare Nicoletta out of town just by promising to give her what she wants. Um, yeah. So the idea that there are like specialist fairy hunters uh, and, you know, like it, it would be crazy not to use them because the fairy have seemed like the most airtight others uh to to use for Kenneth up until now so uh, a specific counter to them is just too good not to use yeah i i i mean i'm i'm very certain that we're gonna see at least shelly if not both of them right yeah um, i i feel like i need to see danny because I, I, danny has been set up as this chekhov's gun to me because shelly is like you know this actual fairy assassin or whatever um, mm. whereas, whereas Danny has this very like, you know, oh, most of the time he's just very sad or whatever. But when he comes out of his shell, like he comes out swinging. Um, mm-hmm. And like to me, that's that's just almost too enticing to not use because just the idea that Danny will, will just sort of be on the outskirts of the battlefield or something, and then something will click and he'll mm. just go fucking ham. Yeah, he'll um, just go wild. Yeah. Yeah. yeah worrying. Um, yeah, I, I'm especially worried about Shelly. I think uh, she's just, I don't know. She, it's it, the vibe I got was all the like scariness of a fae, but they, they won't even, you know, take a long time with their plots. She'll just fuck <laughs> you right up. Yeah, they don't have the, the patience of immortality. Um, because we've kind of skipped over the harrowing backstory for how these two ended up where they are. Um, mm. it's fucking insane. On yeah, so many levels. horrifying, um, again, horrifying. Like, Oh, we can't just turn into we can't just turn this into the quote the extra material thing, but like go read it again. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um. I think. God. Yeah. Or maybe like these two could be because you know I guess while well, I'm just talking about my theory of Guillaume and Marisica becoming a thing for a chunk of the story, maybe that's what will happen. These aware will show up, and Shelley and Daniel as specific like fairy counters will press those two to actually have to tip over some of their dominoes. Mm. Um, like maybe this will be wait, you know, this will be the thing. It's like, oh, we're gonna go deal with Shelley and Daniel, and then it turns into like all the shit Guillaume and Marisica have cooking. Uh, all also just explodes, mm-hmm. and Shelley and Daniel are, are only a quarter of the fight at that point. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Um, we'll 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 see. Uh, okay. So next up, number th- number four on the list is Kevin. No one. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the evil-eyed? Yeah, I mean, he just seems like a pretty pleasant fellow, pretty normal. Yeah, um, no, he's okay. I mean, okay, the quote that is great here because he's such a psychopath. The part that really jumped out to me about this bit, I'm going to read out now. He is a dangerous, deficient human who carries some personality disorders. He is greedy, resentful of the world, and indulges in his superiority over others where possible. 
he was considered for the Belanger circle. <laughs> and that, that, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, come on. And he's not even rejected. Like, oh, my God, it's such a mess. It, basically, he was rejected because his personality disorder would make him too hard to control, effectively. Um, yeah. Which is wild. Okay, so I know I said I wasn't going to get bogged down in trying to link any of these aware to specific mental illnesses as part of the metaphor. But, mm. oh, wait, I've definitely read stuff about how, like, CEOs and serial killers can often have very similar brain structures or, or like mm. the same like underlying psychopathic uh disorders but it's like it comes down to how you are raised whether you end up getting into power as a as a CEO or executive of some kind and whether you become a serial killer and like that that was what jumped out to me here like is just like Kevin seems like someone who it's like you know he grew up in rougher circumstances developed these personality disorders like now he's not okay for the bell and jay circle so he's sort of turned into this magical serial killer instead of an auger mm. Mm. yeah um uh, it's cr- how would he possibly be a good fit for them like how can you how can you write that sentence in a dossier and not re-examine your family <laughs> right well, because if they're psychopaths as well that it just uh, yeah yeah yeah, God. Anyway, um, that's all we have to say about Kevin. No one. <laughs> yeah, I I am torn between wanting him to show up and not because I think oh, yeah. there's some really interesting stuff to do there. Like, especially if Nicolette comes with the Kenneteers to help protect Kennet, there's yeah. interesting counterplay between those two, but um, also scary, and I do not want. Mm. Yeah, I'm. Um, I think he's fun to read this one or two paragraphs about, but he would be really unfun to have in the story. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, next up, t- uh, Ted Havens, who is described as world, uh, sorry, w- uh, wow, wow, world, world weary and world wise. This might be just like conceptually m- my favorite of all these ideas. Like, this is such a fucking whirlwind. Like, Clem is, is obviously so fun, and like the list of items w- was maybe the highlight, but just like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a sucker for time loop stories, but just this conceptually having a character with this experience was just the most fascinating to me Mm, yeah um yeah so he's basically like a fantasy novel hero mixed with a bit of groundhog day which is fun (laughs) but the thing that i really liked is is in the kind of final bits of the, the description of this is he's described as like he's a hero right like he he seems to be you know a heart of gold kind of hero type meaning that the only way Bristow can get him to do things for him is by kind of manipulating him to think that they are for the greater good. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I want to read out this, the, the quote that ends his section of the dossier, mm. which is, um, Ted is one of these people enjoying the karma of literally countless lifetimes well-lived. When mm. he does leave the complex, he does so because he believes it serves the greater good. This isn't always or even often the case. Um, and like, I, that's all that, because that last line just read to me as alexander editorializing um but you, you raise a good point where like this could be because it's bristow who convinces him to leave um by convincing him it is good although you know again out, what alexander and bristow thinks is good doesn't seem to line up very often so it still kind of is editorializing but um yeah mm, yeah i yeah i do hope we see him but i think we won't because he'll i like i don't think there's any way that the kind of innocent of these three children won't get through to him if we do see him which would be an interesting writing challenge 
Yeah, yeah. I, I guess what what's interesting to me about this concept is um, it, it's one of those cool twists on like the chosen one trope. Yes. Um, where like because this is the chosen one after they've defeated um, something that they said was bigger than his town or something. So like, uh, like again, like Ted Havens' thing is just a whole story in and of itself. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he he has done his chosen one thing, and now. It kind of sounds like what the world does is after it's done with these chosen ones and it's given him a million lifetimes to defeat this thing, now it's just kind of like, okay, um, fuck off. We're not really going to help you succeed. In fact, we're going to actively stop you from succeeding. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I feel like there's been a lot of like sequels. Like You will see a sequel movie that will be like, oh, between the first movie and now the hero has hit rough times again, but they like mm. reclaim their hero-ness. I feel like mm. what's interesting is that doesn't seem to be on the cards for Ted. He's not the protagonist here. Um, no, yeah. So what do you do with a hero who's done their hero thing, the world's kind of rejecting them now, and and then they show up in the middle of this other conflict? Like, I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, like, no, I think it would be very interesting. <laughs> You're right. There's, like, a more interesting spin than just he turns onto the good goodies team, but, like, he's just someone who doesn't really have a purpose now. He's got, you know, potentially thousands of years of, of memories and nothing to do with them. Yeah. Interesting. What an interesting concept for a character. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we get to the final of the, uh, of the described uh, residents here. Uh, Sharon Grigg, the skeptic. <laughs> I mean, this one's very fun. The, the poor fourth wall takes a real beat uh, for this last entry. She is the scariest to me, not only because she's a power dampener, <laughs> but she's also like, an alt right conspiracy nut, right? Yeah, like yeah. terrifying both in terms of the ability and how disruptive she would be, but also in terms of personality. <laughs> and I was trying to think to myself, who would I least like to interact with? Kevin Noan or Sharon Grigg? And I'm not sure of the answer to that. I'll just hang out by myself, I think. <laughs> yeah. Just, just uh have dinner alone. Um yeah. Yeah, again, <laughs> again I'm I, I, I did want to get bogged down in tying these to specific uh mental illnesses or anything, but it's hard not to tie this to like you know, conspiracy like flat earth, anti-vax, alt-right, QAnon bullshit. Um, mm. What I love about this is, is it's not just like, it's not just that she's a character like that, but like the, the idea of her powers as someone who's a power dampener, I think it works because with people like that, trying mm. to engage with them just brings you down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, you know, trying to use magic around her as a skeptic just kind of brings you down to her level. You yeah. can't argue with her. You can't convince yeah. her. She's yeah. just she's just going to drag you down to her level of not being able to do magic. And I think that that's just such a brilliant metaphor. <sighs> yep. Yep. I kind of want her to show up just so I can hate her. Just I'm just going to Yeah, I know. She's going to be such tell. a nightmare. I want her to get a, get a beat down, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just, I just want her to show up so I can be like, oh, fuck everything you stand for. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah uh, but that's the end of the bonus material um so good stuff by wild bow there loved it yeah uh, that, was, you... that was that was ex- like a very long one so I, like i know it's not sustainable as an expectation but that like that was just a brilliant extra material mm, yeah yeah um it was great i loved it too uh but before we end our show before we end our show We've got to dive into some pale predictions that were left by our audience in our pale predictor app. So if you have a prediction on how the story is going to go, leave it in the, uh, use the link down below to leave it in our form and, and we might read it out on the show. Yeah. Uh, so quickly before we go, let's chat about uh, any predictions we got through pale predictor. 
Mm. What have you um, got for us, Ruben? Yes, I pulled out one from Lapsed Classicist, uh, kind of pulling out the fact that with Guillermet having become so important to the trio, especially being Lucy's, in air quotes, wise old mentor, um, and we now have uh, Shelley being set up as somebody who specialises in taking down Faye, it does uh, seem to be indicating that Guillermet maybe isn't long for the world. Um, oh, that makes so much sense. I know, a bummer. <laughs> and here's another one for you, which is who better to, to uh, kind of bring Avery's over-dependence on glamour to a head than people who specialise in taking down glamour? Like, yeah. th- there's almost certainly if uh, Daniel and Shelley come into this scene, uh, to this story, be going to be a scene where, like, Avery's over-reliance on glamour comes to a head and is a, a detraction in this fight, which I think will be excellent if it does uh, Oh, God, I, both of those things seem inevitable now that you've said them, like, Avery having her confidence kind of shattered mm-hmm. and then hopefully having her heroic moment where she just builds it up naturally out of herself um, would be brilliant. But um, yeah, of course, of course, Guillaume is the fairy who'd get killed. It'll turn out, turn out. Yeah. He actually is the good fairy. Um, and now he's dead and Marissa's fine. Yeah. Uh, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, yeah. So uh, w- what did you uh, pull out as your prediction? I've pulled out a theory from Fairlax, who uh, has basically just labeled this Chekhov's brownies. Um, and basically, he's just saying that someone being tricked into acknowledging the brownies and tricking their trap card is going to be like a big moment. Uh, and Fairlax has, has stated their possibility of it being Alexander, which I just kind of love because the idea of Alexander being brought down by this contract and like such a, such a strong example of like the system, I think is actually mm. very fun. Um, mm. I'm not sure how you could possibly trick him into doing that but um it's it's a fun idea yeah i i wonder how it would be possible to trick to to trick you know alexander or any anybody uh into that but i definitely agree that the brownies i mean i thought it was for the purpose of the snowdrop stuff but that obviously was kind of smoothed over so um i don't know i suspect i suspect this is true yeah i mean yeah it it, it does feel like the the idea of chekhov's brownies does feel like it has some merit Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, thanks to uh, to Lapsed Classicist and Fairlax for those predictions. Uh, next up on our agenda here, it's time to revisit answers that were left to our discussion question from last week. Um, yeah. So our discussion question was, do that homework that Radical Ray set. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and we got a few answers on that homework. Uh, so uh, we got uh, a, a response from Man Magnificent, who talks about lost others as a power source, um, mainly for, uh, well, for a domain specifically, and how uh, kind of others that are powered by, like, uh, energy to do with moving between places would influence somewhere that is, by definition, static, right? Which I think is an interesting uh, an interesting kind of, um, you know, mix-up to throw in it and, and led to a few quite interesting thoughts about how it might work. Yeah, yeah, like... Uh... I could see it making it easier for you to get to the paths, or maybe you can have a shortcut out of the paths back to your domain. Mm. Um, yeah, although I wonder if it makes your domain... Uh, isn't something Man Magnificent said? It makes your domain less tethered um, to reality, so maybe maybe it's easier to lose it. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if you can lose your domain. I hope not. Doesn't well, sound ideal. We've touched on the idea of not losing your domain, but like 
if you spend too much time in your domain, you kind of become untethered from reality, right? Yeah, yeah. Which sounds a bit like being lost. So so one of the things that Man Magnificent touches on is maybe that would be much easier to happen if you're kind of yeah. making a domain that's been infected with like lost energy. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. And we also got one from Beard of Valor who gave very long and comprehensive answers. So I, <laughs> I, I, we won't go into them too much, but to kind of highlight it in, in at a higher level, we got... Uh, a, be- a blade that was kind of infused with fey or goblin energy that creates these kind of festering wounds that feel good to receive, which was pretty terrifying. <laughs> so that was a fun one. So um, that's like, so the, the the goblin energy, I assume, is contributing to like the festering. Yes. And then the fairy energy is like making you enjoy getting cut by it. That's the craziest part. Like even just the fairy part to me would be worth like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, we also got uh, a familiar infused with lost energy that kind of made it more slippery, and a domain that was blessed by a god of mischief, which led to like it having some kind of mischievous properties. Um, a, a lot of depth to this, so I recommend going to read them. But it was interesting. I got the vibe that Beard of Valor has thought about this before, uh, maybe too much. There was uh, some <laughs> some indications in there that there was some potentially terrifying stuff going on behind the surface for Beard, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I just think like, a domain blessed by a god of mischief. I mean, I don't know if that's what you want for your domain. Like that's mm. that seems that seems like it might cause you more trouble than than it helps. Yeah, for your for your house. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, I agree. I I worry maybe that's not a uh, <laughs> you go maybe for that's a god a of like idea. keeping things in the right spot or something. Yeah, a god of cleanliness and order. <laughs> Um, yeah, so those are some answers that were left to our discussion questions. So thanks uh, to those users for that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I think we're going to take the week off discussion questions this week. Everyone did so well on the previous homework that we're not setting any this week. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no homework this week. Take, take a break. T- take some time off. Take a, a three-day Good. vacation back to Canada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, see what's going on there protect it from the aware etc um if you want to leave your thoughts on these chapters or on this episode you can do so by heading to our discussion thread which will be linked down in the show notes below um and uh yeah leave us some thoughts why not uh yes you can also find us on twitter at MediaMD podcast or just search for power reflections we show up it's like mm. our name tag it's a whole thing um it's where the live reads happen episode announcements all that jazz <laughs> uh yeah yeah exactly um why don't you also check out our website doofmedia.com uh it has all of the other shows on the doof media network of which i don't know if you know this but we're one of them um but there are other great shows on there too uh what you say is a classic Uh, there's of course all kinds of great shows the doofcast the flagship show of the doof network um all kinds of things for all kinds of interests so i'm sure you'll find something that you'll like Yep, uh, we've got our Doof and Chill coming up. We're all going to play Among Us. Hopefully mm. all seven uh, Doof hosts will be there. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. I haven't actually played that game, but I've seen a, a bit of it uh, on the YouTubes, and it looks like fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it, it will be very fun. Um, so uh, if you want to support the Doof Network, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media and uh, leaving us some coin. It's a great way to support the network and help us uh, do all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, yes, and don't forget, Wildbow has a Patreon, patreon.com Whoa. forward slash Wildbow. Uh, you know, he, we're all tenants in his apartment complex of 
this story <laughs> yeah um, in the apartment I, complex of his mind yeah and so you got to pay your rent uh, mm. so you know head on over patreon.com forward slash wildbo i think that's the second week in a row i've made him bristow in a metaphor so i feel really bad about that i'm gonna <laughs> oh, that stop sucks. trying to improv these <laughs> <sighs> yeah um <laughs> that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of pale reflections but make sure you come back next week we'll be talking about some more chapters of the same story. See you then. Bye.